from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hello, friends, and welcome to LaughBox. I am Chip Lutz, and this is the official podcast for the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And today, today only, we've got the real deal, Mr. Alan Klein in the house. Well, actually not in the house. He's over the phone, but I like Alan. Alan, uh, somebody that I've always admired, somebody I plagiarized the hell on when I was doing my master's thesis on uh, humor and education. And when I got to AATH and got to meet him, it was a sheer joy. And over the past decade, and it's been a decade, uh, we've gotten to be friends. When I'm out in San Francisco, I get to go eat dinner with he and his husband are just good people, fantastic people, author of numerous books, including my absolute favorite, The Healing Power of Humor, which I think is having its 30th anniversary this year. So welcome, Alan. Thank you. And it's good to know you plagiarized me so I can get a hold of my lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, there's no evidence of that anymore. I think I've lost that. But... uh, so, well, thanks for being on LaughBox today. And like I said, you're somebody that I've always admired. Let's start, not in the beginning, but your journey with humor. How did you get in the humor biz? Well, it came out of what some people would say was a tragedy. My wife had a rare liver disease, primary biliary cirrhosis. And um, she was in the hospital and had a copy of Playgirl magazine with a male nude centerfold. And she said, Alan, I uh, really like this picture this month. Can you put it on the wall by the bed over there? And I said, Alan, this nude man is a little much for the hospital. Um, what can we do? And she said, well, there's a leaf over there on the plant. Why don't you get it and put it over that part? And I did that chip and um, things are fine for the first day, fine for the second day, but by the third day, the leaves start shriveling up. We would look at it, we would come home from the hospital, remember it, and we would start to laugh. And I realized, not at the time so much, but looking back, how that very brief, you know, 15, 30 seconds of laughter gave us a little reprieve, helped us rise above the situation, gave us a perspective that humor always gives. And, and so after my wife died, I went back to school, became a hospice volunteer, became a home health care aide, noticing people who were seriously ill, often using humor to help them to cope. It was Norman Cousins' time. He was talking about healing himself with humor. And so then I start doing all this research, uh, particularly about humor and death and dying, which no one had done before, mm-hmm. uh, to show that we could, with humor and laughter, we could rise above any situation, even momentarily, or only momentarily, but it could help us get through those difficult times. I, I, I know that historics, you know, you've shared it with me before, and I, I it, always is an amazing story with me the story of you know you and your wife and your uh career in hospice um because you've had a, a lot of different careers i mean i think remember you telling me that uh you were a, were you a set designer for jackie gleason well, yes i was a, uh, when i lived in new york i was a scenic designer um which i wanted to be since i was taken to my first broadway show and got into the union and designed captain kangaroo which 
Chip, you probably don't remember. You're too I, young for that. I do remember. <laughs> I do remember Captain Kangaroo. Uh, Jackie Gleason, Merv Griffin, and um, yeah, it was it was and it was the heyday of CBS. They had shows like Ed Sullivan, which I worked on. Uh, they had I think Carol Burnett at the time. They had all of the Barbara Streisand specials. It was like the golden era of TV, and I was part of that. It was it was glorious. I know they didn't really have much to do with humor. I just love the fact that you've got such an awesome past. <laughs> well, no, you know what. <laughs> You don't think it has anything to do with humor, but when I look back, I realized when I was designing Captain Kangaroo for almost 10 years, I had to think like a child, not like an adult, because, um, say, Bunny Rabbit would invent a machine to trick Mr. Green Jeans into giving him some carrots. Uh I was the one that designed that machine. So I had to think, how would a child do this? They would take a cardboard box, they'd go in the kitchen and get a strainer or you know something to put on the box. Um, you know, they they would use whatever they had around them to make this crazy little machine. And so that's how I had to think. And I think, you know, once I started to do my humor programs, I use a lot of props because I, I'm very visual and I think it helps get my point across. But I'm also very playful. I'm very kind of childlike. And I think looking back, being a designer in Captain Kangaroo and thinking like a child helped my sense of humor. I like that. Sometimes as adults, we just uh, we forget what it's like to be a kid and the kid's imagination. Yeah. We and guess what? Can I put a plug in for my next book, which is coming out in the yes. fall? Yes. It's because it ties right in here. It's called Secrets Kids Know and Adults Ought to Learn. Oh, share a little bit about so, that. Well, it has 18 different um, things that kids, uh, I think kids can teach adults. And what I'm really proud of is my daughter's an artist. And this is the first time we worked together. She did the illustrations and I did the writing. So, um, and you know, there's always, I'm always guided by some higher power. It's how I got into this business. It's how I run my life. It's how great things come into my life. So my daughter does all of these drawings, uh, as little bears doing all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And then the publisher unbeknownst to us sends me the cover that they did. And it has this teddy bear on the cover. Nice. <laughs> So it all it all fits. So that'll be out in the fall. Secrets kids know and adults ought to learn. Well, what are a couple of the secrets? I'd like to know. Can I get? Can we get? Oh, a you got to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a- going to tell you. You know, you do some of them already. You know, be more playful. Of course, humor. Um, you know, be outrageous. Uh, think of life as an adventure. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Pretty common, but it's my own little hit on it. Uh, great stories, little exercises for people to do, and uh, I'm I'm proud of you know. Pr- I'm always proud of my books, but the the latest baby is always the best. Well, I don't think anything. I mean, I've read several of your books, and in the the one that I love the best is your original, The Healing Power of Humor. It's just uh, yeah. I've got you know two copies of it. One you gave my wife, but I keep it so it doesn't get uh, lost. <laughs> you know, and I think it's somewhere. They stop counting. I can't tell anymore when they do a printing, but I think it's in at least a 40th printing. 
Wow. And ninth foreign language. You know, I can't even read those nine languages, but someone is in that country. So, uh, tethering back to your time in hospice, I mean, what were some of the things you saw on, you know, you, you said you, you noticed that people used uh, humor to cope with different things. You know, and a lot of times people look at humor in this kind of situation as bad taste or not appropriate. You know, how did you see right. that working for people? Well, often it was the only thing that they had left. It was the only way they can communicate. And they often couldn't do it with the doctor or the nurse because, you know, they were all focused around the person's illness. Mm -hmm. And the family was often too, uh, you know, walking on tiptoes. And so what I noticed that the patients would always, not always, but often have a little you know, try to lighten up the situation. And there's actually a, a re small research study where patients, 80% of the patients wanted more humor in, in the hospice setting. Um, let's say, so I'd walk into a patient and she'd say, Alan, you know, I would like the bedroom repainted after I die. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, then I could look down and see if there's any hanky-panky going on with my husband. <laughs> You know, and this, so that was like a chance for me every time I'd see her to say, oh, what colors would you like the bedroom painted today? Or, you know, it gave me an opening. And it often, what I often found, it was the patient that was the comforter. That they, they would, you know, not all the time, but they would try to often lighten up. And you need to pick up those clues as a caregiver and listen for that. And then there's the opportunity to at least a little humorous banter with them to lighten the situation. But right. don't go in with a battery of jokes. You know, I tried that once with a patient that did not work. Uh, one, one of the simple things I used to do before I'd see an, a patient, I would sit in my car and I would do a smiling meditation. What's that? And I would just focus. Well, I would just breathe in. I would turn up the corners of my mouth as if I was smiling and I would just concentrate on being lighter and smiling. So when I walked into, cause I never knew when you walked into the, when I walked into the apartment, cause I was, a, I went to people's homes, you know, whether the family be really angry, whether the patient would be in pain, but I wanted to go in being a little lighter. And so at least I'd have a little smile on my face. I like that. Just, you know, setting your mindset before you go into a situation. So, because sometimes right, we, do, right. we, do, we do have to remind ourselves that, you know, the here and now, you know, sometimes, you know, emotions are high and it's, it's our choice to be, right. in the, you know, really be in the moment. And I like that. I've never heard of a smiling meditation, but uh, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, I was more available for the patient rather than me going in with an agenda. I'll never forget when my very first patient, um, I, I thought I'm a hospice volunteer. I really want to help this person. So, um, I go in with my little agenda to help this person. She's on the couch. Dating game music is on, or the show is on TV. The music is blaring away and I shout over the music. Um, is there anything I can do for you today? I'm here to help you. I'm a volunteer. She doesn't say anything. She's like partially asleep, partially watching the loud TV. So I shout again, anything I can do to help you? And she says, do you know how to disco dance? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, Chip, I'm a 
volunteer. I'm here to help that person. I'll do anything she wants. <laughs> so I get up <laughs> and I dance around the room and I sit down and I ask her again. I shout, how did you like that? And she looks straight at me and she says, long silence. She said, you could leave. <laughs> And I was like heartbroken, you know, I'm there to help her. And here she's asking me to leave. So I got back to the hospice office after the family came back, didn't tell them what happened, told the hospice staff at the meeting what happened. Everyone got totally hysterical. And they said, if you only had like a candy camera in the you know ceiling of the room, watching you dance around discoing to dating game, how funny that was. And of course I saw the humor and I started to laugh, but she taught me a great lesson that I cannot go in with my own agenda. It's her agenda. If she wanted to sleep with the TV blaring, that was it. And so just be there for the, for the patient. Right. And um, I like the don't go in with a battery of jokes. Um, right. <laughs> cause yeah. Cause you know, we think oh humor. I'm going to, I'm going to try a joke today. Well, that's the wrong thing. <laughs> right. Like a, uh, uh, an episode of make me laugh gone awry. That would, <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> but right, uh, right. Uh, here's a, here, uh, lately I read on, I was reading on your blog that, uh, you recently had your own stay in the hospital where you learned some different lessons on humor. Um, that, you know, right, your, right. Your humor master still learns some more. You want to share a little bit about, you know, what happened and the lessons that you learned? Yeah. Well, I had my diverticular, which I've had for 10 years and it just had been there suddenly got infected and abscess. And I was in a lot of pain, a lot of pain for like 10 days and, um, in the hospital for three of those. And I thought, you know, I'm a jollytologist. I want to, light this place up because it's pretty gloomy here. And I realized a couple of lessons. One, when I was in pain, I could not, I could not laugh. It's like pain just takes over everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, they even gave me morphine and I was still in pain and you, I can't laugh. You can't laugh. Then. And if, if someone, uh, you know, comes and told me a funny thing, I, I could not laugh. So that was the first thing. Second, in between the pain, I did try to like, it was New Year's weekend, so I would kind of joke with some of the staff, the caregivers, about the IV they were giving me, you know, when am I going to get the one with the champagne? Or, mm-hmm. And I was on a liquid diet where I got green jello every three meals a day, and it's like, where's my caviar, you know? And what I noticed is some of the caregivers were very serious. They were doing their job. You know, they were trying to, to help and it was no place for them. Humor had no place for them at that time. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of the others, when they were on, on, on call, we were able to joke with each other. So, uh, you know, people are different and particularly I noticed there were a lot of, um, people from other countries and I realized in those countries, they may not laugh during work time. This is, you know, they are paid to do their work, not to laugh. And so I realized that too. And, um, yeah, those are a couple of things that I learned in the hospital about humor. Well, I liked um, when I was reading your blog, which anybody can find at alankline.blogspot.com. I'll give you a little plug there. I'm sure they can find uh, links to all your books there too. Um, (laughs) um, That, uh, 
when one of the things you shared on there is that uh, even through the pain, when your uh, husband, you know, was trying to joke with you, you were in no mood to. Right. Right. I just lashed out at him because it was, it took, I've never had this before, which I'm pretty lucky. I've not been in the hospital over 50 years. Um, but it took every, when I got home, it took every ounce of energy that I had to like, if I wanted to move a glass across the table, it took, it took pre-thought. You know how you just do things? Mm-hmm. Well, no. I had to think, okay, I want that glass over there. Or I want to pour the water or whatever. I could not focus on anything else. So when David tried to joke about something, I just lost it and lashed out at him. You know, we often lash out at the, our loved ones and the closest people near us, but I felt terrible about it afterwards. But I realized when, I am, when someone is that ill, often it takes every ounce of energy, every thought they have to do the next thing, and that humor may not be appropriate at that time. Absolutely. Hey, I was just sharing with somebody not too long ago that a lot of a lot of times humor is so personal and so um, subjective that you really have to know the people. And even then, you know, it might not be the right time on uh, employing humor or not. So what do you do daily to add a little more humor to your life? Well, right now I'm in my office and I love being there because I have all of these funny things around great big picture of Groucho Marx, an autographed copy of Woody Allen looking down at me. Uh, mass toys, my toy shelf uh, filled with Teletubby toys. <laughs> Am I revealing too much here? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, you know, red clown noses. Um, the door says, big sign says toys on it. There's a little sign hanging from the doorknob that says play zone. Um, what I'm saying, Chip, is just reminders, mm-hmm. you know, Reminders around to remember to um, to help me lighten up. I like that. I have the same thing <laughs> around my desk. I have uh, my super, my Lego Superman, pictures of my kids laughing, all sorts mm-hmm. of things to uh, help me keep a lighter attitude. Because otherwise, otherwise, I use it for sometimes. That's all you can do is just laugh. That's all you can. Yeah, do. yeah, and you know, when I'm getting a little too serious, I can just look at that or one of those, and uh, helps me lighten up. Very good. Now what? Oh, and then the the best thing that helps me lighten up is a picture of Chip Lutz. <laughs> <laughs> you do not have. A, I see his face, and I just get hysterical. <laughs> you do not have a picture of me in your office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's not you. I thought it was you. <laughs> see, but I do have a picture of Alan Klein in my office. Actually, Alan Klein's mom. Oh, right, right. So. <laughs> I, I do. I, uh, my first conference, for those of you listening, uh, was actually because I, I came to the conference because of Alan, because Alan sponsors a, um, a scholarship every year in honor of his mom. It's the Margie Klein Paper Plate Scholarship about humor in the workplace. And so my first year I was uh, writing an essay. It's an essay contest. And it was only supposed to be um, 1,200 words long. And uh, I wrote, I mean, 600 words long. I wrote 1,200. And on my cover letter, uh-huh. I wrote, uh, if this is too long, just read half. And um, I won the scholarship <laughs> and got there. And Alan gave me this awesome paper plate with his mom's picture on it. And it is. <laughs> and you still have it. I do. I framed it. Oh, I framed, fabulous. I framed it. It's sitting right here in my office. So, um, 
I actually, I have. You might. And have did you write reading. 1,200 words because you were expecting to get two scholar double scholarship? Actually, <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> now yours is it was really good. I must say, I wish other years we had as good as entries as yours. It made my job really easy. That and it was the only one submitted that year. So um. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> So for people that are going through trying times, I mean, because you've been there, done that, you've helped people through, you know, whether they're going through, you know, stay in the hospital or they're a caregiver, because sometimes we forget about caregivers in, in the whole equation. You know, we're, we're solely focused on the person in the hospital. We forget about the people that are caring for them, which is stressful as well. What are some things that they can do or you recommend for people to do to add that element of playfulness or humor to their lives just to keep their spirits up? Well, one of the things, and I talk about that's the main focus of my most recent book, um, You Can't Ruin My Day, is that we have complete control of what we're thinking. You know, everything is seen through our eyes. So you can see something as tragic, or you can see something as a challenge and as a growth opportunity. Two totally different things, a way of looking at something but you have that power. So you have the power to say, okay, I'm gonna, as, as difficult as this situation is, I'm gonna find a little something to lighten it up. And you, you I mean, it sounds so simple. <laughs> it sounds like a Pollyanna thing, but it's so true. I mean, look at someone in a traffic jam. They could be furious because, you know, there's traffic and they're stuck and they're not getting where they're going. And the car next to them could be thinking, God, I didn't want to go to that meeting anyhow. Now it's a great, uh, I have a great excuse why I'm not there. Right. You know, same situation, two different ways of looking at it. So people that are caregivers, people that are having a difficult time, um, Realize that you have the power. Only you have that power to change the situation. However you do it, it could be prayer. I'm not saying humor is the only thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be affirmations. It could be um, calling a friend that you love to chat with that could help you to heal. Uh, it could be drawing in a coloring book. <laughs> I mean, there's all ways of, of being more positive and taking your mind off what you're going through. Mm -hmm. I like that. Coloring books are making a comeback. I'm, always, I'm really surprised when I go into Barnes & Noble and I see all the coloring books. Right. Well, they're very uh, member as a kid. How great it was to just, I, because I was an artist and didn't realize it at the time, but I would sit there for hours and hours drawing in my coloring book. Me or too. drawing outside the lines. <laughs> <laughs> Not you. Scribbling outside the color outside the lines. Yeah. That's good. Just, you know, being And actually that's one of the, the one of the tips in my next book Secrets Kids Know is to color outside the lines. Sacrilege. I remember when I was a kid I used to uh, I would outline everything in black and then color the in, <laughs> color the inside. I don't know why I never colored outside lines. Probably cuz I was they wow. they made me stay within the lines. Yeah, yeah, could be. We you know, we grow up and we're told Settle down. Get serious. Wipe that smirk off your face, Chip. Wipe that smirk off your face. And then we get to be serious adults. You know, we don't let kids be kids again. 
Right. That's one nice thing about um, having my grandkids around or my granddaughter is that it's just like, I just took her to the airport this morning. Uh, she and my, my daughter and my son-in-law, they were going to New Hampshire and I pick her up and she's all happy. She's going on a plane and just the, mm. the wonder in her eyes. And she's like, how do we get on there? Do we use a ladder? And she was just, she was just like, just see the world as, you know, and try to make sense of it. Yeah. You know, like a child. Yeah. I was at, uh, in the airport and, and the uh, screening machine and the kids were just two kids having this incredible conversation about, well, how does the, how does the conveyor belt start and stop? You know, what do they see when they look in my luggage? Um, can I make it stop and start? You know, um, all these questions uh, that I had even thought about. And they just had a great time just at the conveyor belt. Yeah, somewhere along the line, we, we quit asking and we just, we just accept that is what it is, which I think yeah, is... Yeah, yeah, but I think that's another one of the tips is question, kids question. And we need to question things because it, it reveals so much. And uh, curiosity, kids have great curiosity. Uh, we can learn from that. And uh, kids, everything for kids is an adventure. You know, once my plane was three hours late and the kids, it was an adventure. They took out their little toys, sat on the carpet. You know, it was a pattern on the carpet. They may believe that was a roadway or a highway and all the little toys going around the pattern on the carpet. They were having a great time and the adults were fuming that the plane was late. Just shifting your perspective. I like that. Exactly. You know, exactly. That's a, that's uh, what my granddaughter reminds me all the time is just, you know, looking at things with kind of like fresh eyes, looking at different. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was walking down the street uh, last year and these group of kids were going on an outing with the teacher and there was a uh, jet that went by and left, you know, the smoke thing, whatever that is, the white line. And the kid looked up and said, look, a skyline. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that is so much more, accurate than what we call a skyline, which is like out, outlines of buildings against the sky. That was really a skyline that he was talking about. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So, that is awesome. Kids are wise. They are until they get to be teenagers and then, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're just like, I don't know if they're really my child or not. Certainly the, <laughs> certainly the doctor made some kind of mistake and they switched my kid with somebody yeah. else. This one's not mine. Well, see, I wrote secrets kids know, not secrets teenagers know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I could do that and it could be a blank book. <laughs> it reminds me of my, that. My sequel. <laughs> yeah, that uh, reminds me of uh, the book. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Mary Kay, that gave me a book. The uh, It was called The uh, Best Things About Getting Old, and it was complete. <laughs> It was a completely empty book on that side. <laughs> empty, it was, right? <laughs> it was empty. Empty pages. Whoever thought of that was, you know, the empty page book was, you know, it was an, a great, a great thing because you can use it for a lot of things. You know, everything men, oh, yeah. everything men know about women, everything teenagers know. And it just, you know, it's just blank. And then people buy it. I wish I would have thought of it. That I would be a good yeah, I'd be as rich as Alan. Well, Klein. you just gave me an idea. My publisher wants me to do another book. There it is. It's already, it's already written. It's, it's totally written. <laughs> well, make sure I get my cut. Um. <laughs> All right. Se secrets teenagers know. <laughs> 
Any other tips or things that have worked for you in the past on using humor to, you know, change your, uh, shift your attitude? You know, I like the, you know, the mindfulness. I like, you know, um, the other things you shared. Yeah, I love the smile meditation. You know, there's something I'm going to employ myself just to help me, you know, uh, be in that moment and uh, approach things with a little right. different attitude, maybe a little more empathy, seeing people, you know, seeing things from where other people are. Um, what are the right, things right. that uh, well, you are like you must know, one thing I, I Last year I did a TEDx talk and plug here, people can see it on YouTube, put in my name in TEDx. But um, one thing I realized, it, the two people before me were very serious. And we were sitting in the audience and they called us up and we walked on stage. It was pretty boring. And I thought, I cannot, I cannot do that. I need to lighten this up. Mm-hmm. And so there was a big sign on stage that said TEDx and, and the name of people presenting it. And I thought, I'm going to hide behind that sign. And I'm going to, when they introduce me, I'm going to pop up <laughs> from behind the sign. <laughs> so throw them all off. They thought I'm coming up from down in the audience. And I did it for myself, Chip. And I realized I just start giggling at the beginning of my talk. Mm-hmm. because it just lightened me up to kind of just be playful mm-hmm. with the situation. Had I come up from the stage, from the audience onto the stage after they introduced me, it would have been too serious and I needed to lighten myself up. So you, you need to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to um, set the environment for yourself wherever you are. That's why I have all this around my office that helps me lighten up. Um, but again, you are in control. No one said I had to come up from the audience. No one said, you know, I can't hide behind the sign and pop up. <laughs> but it was for me. I did it for me. And it really set the tone for my talk mm-hmm. and really helped me um, lighten up through the whole talk because I had this inner little giggle. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I think it showed I was the only one that got three rounds of applause during the talk. So Seth, you know, take control, lighten, you can lighten up the situation. You know, think about some goofy, silly things you might do. It's okay to be silly, even as an adult. Give yourself permission. I like that. Give yourself permission every day to have a little bit of fun. And don't don't let people poo-poo on your party. That's what I say. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I've... I've, uh, (laughs) Over and over, I said, I can do it. Don't tell me I can't. Right. Well, I really appreciate you spending a little time with me today. I know everybody listening will uh, get some great value from you. If after today people want to find you, where can they go? My website, uh, www.allenkline.com, but spell my name right, A-L-L-E-N-K-L-E-I-N.com. I'll go to Amazon, put my name in. You'll see all of my books. How many are there, actually? 25. I lost count. (laughs) (laughs) I've lost count too. Some of them are reprints, but they're totally like different looking, different intros and like that. But yep, 25. Amazing. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? (laughs) And I would recommend anybody, if they're looking for a good primer on humor, just to get the original, the healing power of humor. You know, it's it's 30th anniversary. I'm sure that uh, if you call Alan or email him, he'd probably, you know, sign it for you. I've got a signed copy, but, uh, 
great book. Some that costs ex- extra. That <laughs> costs extra. <laughs> some of the change my the life. The book is actually free, but the uh, autograph's a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I really appreciate the time. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, you've you've liked. <laughs> Thank my, you, Chip. And uh, I am so proud of my um, Margie Klein Paper Plate Scholarship recipient um, taking such a lead in uh, the Association for Blood and Therapeutic Humor, and it's been an absolute joy being a friend and colleague of yours all these years. Oh, the pleasure has been mine, my friend. Well, I will bid you adieu. For everybody who's been listening, this has been Laugh Box. I certainly appreciate you listening. Make sure you check out the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. That's aath.org. Ath, that's ass with a list.org. Check us out and uh, come to our conference. You'll be meet Alan. He'll probably give you a signature for free if you, uh, if you corner him. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least half price. All right, my friend. Thanks again. Thank you. All right. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at aath.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org. 